Blog Talk Radio. Let me tell you about something new. A new show called G's Power. G's Power. Real talk for real saints. Are you ready? And it's for real. Welcome to G's Power Hour live every weekday at 11.30 a.m. on Never Had It So Good Entertainment Network. Your host, G, will bring you informative and entertaining guests and a variety of topics in a way that you can absorb and enjoy. Listen in weekdays and call in at 516-387-1944. We love interaction. All shows can be downloaded if you miss one or found on iTunes the next day. G's Power Hour is powered by Never Had It So Good Sports Media Network. Good morning, brothers and sisters, kings and queens, angels and saints. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to G's Power Hour on Never Had It So Good Entertainment. I am your host, G. Thanks so much for being with us today. So in the midst of all of the coverage of Hurricane Ian, there was one organization that kind of stuck out to me in terms of uh, what they were trying to do to alleviate some of the stress and pain and feed the hungry of uh, the victims of Hurricane Ian, and that was Mercy Chef. And I had never heard of the organiza- organization, and so I wanted to find out more about them. So um, I invited uh, someone to come on from Mercy Chef, and that is Gary LeBlanc, who is the founder. Good morning and welcome. How are you doing? I'm doing really well. Thank you very much. Thank you, and thank you for your work. Um, talk to us a little bit about how you got started. And I look at your mission, and, and it's just you know simple. Uh, let's go feed. Just go feed people. Um, how how did you embark on that? Well, it's such a simple mission. Um, New Orleans was my hometown. I came up in the restaurant business in New Orleans, and was living in Virginia when Katrina hit. Um, I lost a grandmother, daughter, lost a house. All my family was displaced. And I mm. went down and volunteered with other groups. It's the first time I had ever done anything like that. And um, worked really hard for two weeks, got home, and started to get angry about what I had seen. Um, people got fed, but they didn't get fed well. And um, I appreciate everybody that feeds people in these things, but I, I – Food is love. I'm a good Cajun boy, and and um, food is love. And if you're going to feed somebody something and, and say you love them, it really should be the best meal that you can possibly do. And that was not what I saw after Katrina. Um, cold green beans out of a can for 14 nights in a row isn't love. Um, <clears throat> and so I got back home and got angry, and about nine months after Katrina, so funny, the time it takes to grow a baby, um, God literally spoke out loud to me and told me to go feed people, to just go feed people. And that was the birth of Mercy Chefs 16 years ago. How did you manage to pull together an uh, army, I guess, or, or people who were willing to to go into places where you didn't have necessarily the best setup in order to, to cook and feed people. Mm. Tell me how that works. Well, they've, they've um, gathered to the mission um, slowly over the 16 years. It's, it's pretty much an incredible collection of, of folks um, that all have a mission call. This is, this is too hard to do. Um, and unless it's a God call on your life. And we've, we've had so many people come out that thought they were really good field caterers and worked a day or two and said, you know, I, I'm not, I can't do this. It's not for me. And we have mm. other people that have been laboring in the field for years and years and years, and it's, it's a mission call. If somebody was doing this for a job, you just you couldn't do it. Um, so it's a call, and um, all, all of our folks know that. And um, they, they're, they're all just built to do this. I mean, they burn to go feed people and, and their moment of need. Now, you're based out of Virginia, but you said you were from um, the Louisiana area. Um, how did you get from there 
from Louisiana, Virginia, number one. Number two, uh, do you is your group primarily there, or do you have chapters? How does this work? Well, I'm I'm in the hotel business. You live quite the lifestyle. You move all over the place, and um, mm-hmm. my travels took took me to North Carolina and Colorado and Virginia, and I met a girl and got married and stayed there. And so that was how I ended up in Virginia. Um, mm-hmm. We have bases of op- operation around the country. So we keep mobile kitchens in Virginia, um, Alabama, um, Texas, Oklahoma, and California. So we're able to get to the need a, a, a little more quickly than starting from home base and have to get out. And then we have volunteers all over the country. I mean, in our 16 years, we've done over 170 disasters. And we've been active in 27 states and 11 foreign countries. So it's, um, it's, it's quite a reach that we have now. So let me ask, do you recruit, let's say, other businesses for, for assistance? For example, I, I, to me, I'm thinking about you having to, let's say, haul a bunch of food into a disaster area. Do you work with local um, grocery stores? How do, how do you get the items that you need in order to feed people? Yeah, we work with professional mainline food distributors, so the companies that supply hotels and restaurants around the country. We have about mm-hmm. five that we have active accounts with. Um, we buy most all of our groceries. We learned a long time ago that donated products come late, and they're often mm. out of date or, or substandard products. And so for us to do a high-quality chef-prepared meal, we, ha- we have to have high-quality products. So we work hard at raising the money it takes to buy what we need to do it. Now, it isn't to say that we don't get some great donated products. We've had Pilgrim's Chicken bring us stuff this trip. Smithfield Foods is just amazing. And Omaha Steaks actually just sent us in six pallets of, of Omaha Steak product yesterday. So steak dinner tonight, everybody, if you're out there in the Fort Myers area. Um, mm. And so we have some great partners like that that do help us out. But um, we've, we've fed over 175,000 meals here in Fort Myers already, and we'll cross 200,000. Um, easily um, by the weekend. So if, if you can imagine how many groceries it takes to feed 200,000 people, that's, that's what we're doing. I was going to ask you if, if you were still in that area, and, and how do you judge the time frame that you stay in a particular locale? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, we watch um, to see when local restaurants are back open, when power is restored, when grocery stores are operating normally. And then, and then we try to get out of the way. Um, we're not helping the local economy if we're just giving away food and everybody's back to normal. We just view mm-hmm. ourselves as a bridge to normalcy. However, um, in some locations, uh, Panama City, Florida, after Hurricane Michael, we stayed over two years. Um, the county gave us an unused school, and we turned it into a, a long-term recovery center. We called it a beacon of hope. We repeated that out in Kentucky after the horrible tornadoes back uh, December a year ago and just left the school there. So we, we are looking for an opportunity to do that here in Fort Myers as well. This, this community is, is utterly devastated, the islands and the beach. Uh, here are and in the communities just inland, the bedroom communities, the the worker communities. They're 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 all just uh, just undescribable damage. I was going to ask you, could you give us a little insight in terms of what you're actually seeing? You know, we get snippets uh, on the news, and uh, you know, as time progresses, uh, you know, the the I guess the coverage kind of veers away a little bit, but what are you yeah. seeing? You guys are still down there. What, what's compelling you? Um, we stood with an elderly couple yesterday that had been in a home for 40 years, um, bringing them a hot meal as the scooper truck pulled up. And um, 
just started to scoop what was left of their life in their home into the back of a dump truck to carry away. They'll, they'll be left with a concrete slab and just, you know, they've worked their whole life to be there and it's just all gone. Um, it's, it's a very uh, hopeless situation. We, we, um, we've talked to elderly people that were stuck on the second and third floor of their apartment buildings that couldn't get down the steps once the power went out and the water came up. Um, mm. We're in communities uh, right now, um, um, communities that, that are underserved. Uh, let's, let's just leave it and say that. Um, underserved communities and that are equally destroyed. And um, there's no insurance. There's no savings account. These, these people are all out of work this week. They've, they've missed two paychecks already. And for so many people in America, you miss two paychecks and, and you're done. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's, there's yeah. nothing to fall back, back on. And we're, we're seeing that repeated. I mean, storms are not respecters of persons. Whether you had the, the beautiful lifelong dream hope, home right on the bay or you, you were living in a duplex a mile inland, I mean, the, the, the storm didn't care. So are you invited into these communities or do you just go? Um, We work with um, state emergency operators and national volunteer organizations. We coordinate with FEMA, um, but we work primarily through church networks. Even though we're coordinating with all the government entities, we would rather be on a church parking lot or in a church site or sending our meals out through local churches. Um, because that creates connections between mm-hmm. the, the, the community. And Mercy Chefs believes very strongly that neighbors helping neighbors are the best way to recovery. And the sense of community is what's also fractured just as badly as the homes and the infrastructure. Mm-hmm. We, we, we take it as part of our job to help create that community when we're in town. So we could come in and do it from a stage and beat our chest and act like we're something special, or we could work through the, the people in those communities and, and help them take care of each other. And that's the way we choose to do it. And so you were talking about the quality of the meals that you provide. Can you give us an example of what you all provide uh, for, for people that are just yeah. probably would, wouldn't mind getting the, the, the at, at some point, wouldn't mind getting the canned beans, but would rather have something else. Yeah. What type of meals do you provide? Well, we don't do sandwiches. We've, we've seen a big dump of sandwiches out here, and that, that's just not what we do. We try to do home-cooked meals. We try to do things that people recognize. So there's, there's going to be a, a Salisbury steak or a, a whole piece of chicken or um, there's going to be pot roast or there, there's going to be something like that in the place. And we're going to have vegetables and we're going to have a, a nice side dish of starch. You're going to have a roll and you're going to have a dessert. Um, we do mm-hmm. a lot of, of, of pasta casseroles. We do a lot of chicken pot pie. Um, well, we did Salisbury steak and fresh mashed potatoes, man. And if you want to see something happen, it's when you do mashed potatoes for 10,000, that's, that's a, it's a lot of mashing <laughs> going on. But we use, yeah, we use wow. fresh whole potatoes. We don't, we don't just use the instant stuff. So, again, it's, it's a meal that says, I love you, I care for you, and I have not forgotten you in, in this time of need. It, it's a meal that tells people their love. We're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, I'm going to ask Gary about how we all can kind of jump on board and help in some way. So um, we're here with Gary LeBlanc, the founder of Mercy Mercy Chefs. If you have a question, the number is 516-387-1944. G's Power Hour on Never Had It So Good Entertainment. We'll be right back. Over the past 60 years, Dove Beauty Bar's superior formula has remained unchanged. But when it comes to beauty everything changed. Together, we redefined beauty. We said no to stereotypes and yes to every type. We let go of judgments and embraced what makes us unique. We're proud to have been there with you, caring for you every step of the way. Here's to the next 60 years. Having a wedding, reception, family reunion, 
planning a banquet, or some other fundraising event, need to share your knowledge through a workshop or seminar, or it's a difficult time and you need to plan a wake or repast, let us help. At our gatherings, let us reduce the stress and make the occasion memorable, treasured. Call our gatherings at 407-968-9387 or email ourgatherings at yahoo.com. Let us help plan your special event. Good morning. Welcome back to G's Power Hour on Never Had It So Good Entertainment. I am your host, G. Thanks so much for being with us today. And we're talking to the founder of Mercy Chefs, Gary LeBlanc. And if you have questions, the number is 516-387-1944. And, and Gary, I wanted to ask you, what do you, I guess, need more in a sense in terms of are you looking for more volunteers or are you more in need of the finances or the donations, how can we, wherever we are, get involved in, in supporting your efforts? Well, the the financial support is always key. We, we always say the only, only limitation we face is funding. Um, so I don't hmm. want to minimize that. But I don't want to focus on that either. Um, we're, we're hoping to stay long here in Florida, and for us to do that, we're going to need some volunteers. Um, I I need a couple more chefs that can come in and relieve my team. Today is day 13 for us feeding down here. And we've Mm. been showering in tents and sleeping on the floors. And I I got a couple of chefs that could really use a break. Um, So if you're a chef or a a banquet cook, if you're an inventory specialist, if if you understand logistics, go to our website, mercychefs.com. You're able to fill out a volunteer form. If you have a specific skill and you'd like to get in touch with me directly, you can go to info at mercychefs.com. That's I-N-F-O at mercychefs.com. On that website, you can find what we're doing in real time. You can ask us questions. And there are secure links on there. If you're able to support us financially, that would be an incredible blessing. So, So you have how many chefs right now? Um, I have 18 people on site. Um, seven of them are chefs. And you're trying to feed how many people right now? We kind of laugh. Today we're we're only feeding 13,000, but we've been feeding over 20,000 um, for the last 10 days, every day. Oh man, that that's really tough um, to say the least. So, um, yeah, we've got to get some, some people down there right now because you don't want to end up in, in the situation where you end up losing the chefs that you have because they're just stretched too thin, you know. So. Well, we have to do what we have to do to get the job done. But there, there are people down there that are down here that are still hurting, and they're going to be hurting for some time to come. So we have to figure out a way, and, and you know, God always provides, and, and things always happen on but we've we've got to figure out a way not just to get the people here and to stand with them in the long term. Uh, and again, it's it's the elderly and the disadvantaged and the children that are going to suffer the most. Right, and and um, I'm just just trying to do the math in terms of of everything that you're doing. Um, so I wanted to find out: Do you also? try to manage more than one disaster at a time. That, that's my other question. Yeah, right, right now, Mercy Chefs, we're still active in Ukraine. We have a warehouse over there. We're distributing food um, to the combat front. I mean, we're, we're right in the places that you hear on TV every night delivering food um, over there. We're over 3.5 million pounds of food delivered in Ukraine. Um, we, we have a team that, that um, is in... Honduras right now, um, working the tornado there and the landslide. Uh, we're trying to get some folks into Nicaragua, and we're still active in Puerto Rico from Hurricane Fiona just a few weeks ago. So we're, we're pulled pretty thin, but we're getting it done, and that's the exciting thing is no matter what the need is, we, we um, seem always to find a way to, to take care of as much as we can. Oh, I'm just, I'm really um, admiring the work that you're doing. So um, now, do you 
think use the people like you were talking about Nicaragua. Do you have, let's say, mm-hmm. a, a team or some some people that are already in place, or this is one of those situations where I guess you would go to the churches mm-hmm. and try to get them to mm-hmm. help you recruit people? Is that how that works? Yeah, we have people in Honduras, but we have a network of partners in Nicaragua. So um, even if we're not able to get one of our chefs or one of our team member there, we have trusted pastors in place that we just need to, to um, uh, funnel funding to, and they're able to go out and get what the people need in real time. So um, that's a great network that we have there in Honduras and Nicaragua and Costa Rica, Guatemala, uh, and, and all those countries that were affected. But especially in Honduras and Nicaragua, we're able to make a real difference right away because of existing partners. Okay. Um, I wanted to go back to something with regards to the people that you do recruit um, because you were asking, I guess, for a, a specific skill set. Do the, do the people that you hire, do they have to pro- provide any particular documentation in terms of what their skill set is? No, no, they don't. And, I mean, if, if you can empty garbage cans and wash dishes, there there's a need for that too. So don't. Don't think that, you know, you have to be that, that celebrity chef or have 20 years of experience. We like that, but um, that uh, we need volunteers all across the spectrum. Okay, good to know, good to know. All right, so um, what? tell everybody again what, how they can reach you, what your biggest needs are, and, um, you know, just give us all of the information so we can get people on board as quickly as possible. MercyChefs.com is the best way to start on that. And the first thing I'm going to ask is for folks to pray for the people down here in Florida. I mean, our hearts are just broken um, for the people here. Um, Get involved if you can. um, Volunteer with us. um, Do a fundraiser for us. um, Or or if you're in a position, make a very generous donation. And all that can be done online at MercyChefs.com. Okay. Uh, thank you for taking the time out. I know you are quite busy to say the least, but we really appreciate you um, coming on and telling us about the great work that you do and how you got started and um, letting people know that the need is still out there. So we appreciate your time. Thank you very, very much. You have a blessed thank day. Thank you for shining. Thanks for shining a light on the need down here. Well, you know, I mean, I, I feel it kind of a, a high in a sense because um, I mean I, I, this is a place I've been wanting to go back to and I live right here in Florida and it's one of those things where you can't take things mm-hmm. for granted my husband and I spent part of our honeymoon down in Sanibel and just can't imagine what has happened down there so uh, we appreciate yeah, there's, you you know there's, you were there's saying? not a lot of Sanibel there's not a lot of Sanibel left um, most, most of Sanibel is just gone how are are you crossing the water, or getting over to them, or are they? Is everybody being brought over to the mainland? How how are you helping those people? So we've been sending stuff over by boat since day two on the ground. Um, we have a, we have a network of local captains and one of the ferries that have been running one of the bridges um, um, over uh, to to one of the islands is open again. And uh, oh, Pine Island, that that bridge is open, but it's going to be a long time before anybody's back on Sanibel. Uh, but we're continuing to send food to the search and rescue teams. Um, now that was, if I've got just a moment, let me talk about that. You know, we we feed search and rescue teams all the time. That's why we like to get in so quick. But I remember about five days ago, you could tell when the teams went from search uh, and rescue to search and recovery. Um, mm. you, just, you, just, you just saw the mood change with them. And um, it, it's such an honor to feed those men and women that do unspeakable work. Yeah, it, it's, it, I, I can't imagine uh, being in that type of situation where you just realize that you've pretty much done all that you could do with regards to life saving and and now it's a matter of just you know showing the respect for the life that was so that's exactly what they do 
yeah. But then they're they're lucky to have you to to support them and and make sure that they are being able to keep um, keep themselves up uh, physically and and spiritually as much as possible. So, thanks again. Thank Take you. Care. Thank you. And you guys, if you want to help, there is. I did post the. Uh, the link on the website, on the Depower Hour Facebook page, uh, mercychefs.com. There is a button on the upper, upper right-hand corner uh, that says Donate. Um, there are also um, uh, instructions in terms of how you all can get involved with that. So please make sure you take the time to, to go and take a look at that. And, um, you know, we want to help them the best way we can um, to, to get, you know, people back on their feet the best way possible. Uh, we're going to take a, a quick break, an early break, and um, when we come back um, in a few minutes, we're going to talk with a pastor. Um, I, I don't know if, if, how many of you were aware, to, yesterday was um, World Mental Health Day, um, but we can never talk too much about the need for uh, helping people uh, with different mental health illnesses, and so we're going to talk to one pastor who's working on efforts um, to assist in that cause. If you have questions, comments, number is 516-387-1944. G's Power Hour on Never Had It So Good Entertainment. We'll be right back. Does it appear the long arm of the law is working against you instead of for you? Whom do you call when the boys in blue are pursuing you? When the wrong person behind bars may end up being you? With over 40 years combined legal expertise, Anderson and Welch bring to bear a smart, sound, sensible defense of those caught in what may be the unrelenting grip of the legal system. Turn to Anderson and Welch first to get ahead of trouble, not fall into it, by calling 561-832-3386. That's 561-832-3386. That's Anderson and Welch Law Firm online at andersonandwelch.com. Good morning. Welcome back to G's Power Hour on Never Had It So Good Entertainment. I am your host, G. Thanks so much for being with us today. And we want to thank again uh, Gary LeBlanc, who is the founder of Mercy Chef, and um, want to try to support them as much as possible in their efforts toward the recovery down in um, South uh, Florida, um, Sanibel, Captiva, Pine Island, uh, Fort Myers, uh, that whole area down there is in need of any support that can be given. So, um, And, you know, we still got to be on watch. We are not at the end of hurricane season just yet, so we've got to stay uh, watchful. And then we've got to keep in prayer for those that are, are suffering from um, other uh, natural disasters right now, so just uh, you know, keep them in prayer. Anyway, yesterday was World Mental Health Day, uh, and it was is to wa- raise awareness of mental health issues around the world. Um, this month is about just to mention. This month is a busy month. We also have to acknowledge uh, the efforts toward research to fight breast cancer. It's Breast Cancer Awareness Month, and we've got to acknowledge those who have um, been victimized by the disease but have been have stayed strong and survived the disease. So we're going to talk about that more later this month. Um, we still are acknowledging uh, Hispanic Heritage Month that runs from September 15th to October 15th. Um, this month also is Domestic Violence Awareness Month, so we are going to talk about that. And I think it's National uh, Bullying Prevention Month as well. So there's just a lot of stuff going on um, and a good time to really kind of open your minds and hearts and, and you know, celebrate those people who are survivors of these various um, diseases and situations and, uh, you know, talk to somebody, find out how you can help. Um, for example, with Mercy Chefs, uh, Gary was m- mentioning that you could do a fundraiser, so you know keep that in mind as well. But right now we're going to talk with a pastor who is putting forth an effort to combat um, mental health, mental illness, and uh, his name is Pastor Holmes. 
Um, he's with New Covenant Ministries in Denver, Colorado. Good morning, Pastor. How are you doing? Good morning, Gretchen. How are you doing today? I'm doing quite well and, and blessed to have you on. Thank you so much. So before we get into what your effort is, tell us about you and, and your church. Well, I'm Pastor Reginald Holmes. I've been pastoring here in Denver, Colorado since 1988. If my math is correct, that's 34 years. I pastor New Covenant Christian Church Alpha and Omega Ministries. And we are an inner city church that's uh, reaching out to to people everywhere in the city. Uh, We primarily focus on the anointing of Jesus. And that anointing, according to Luke 4, is an anointing to preach good news to poor folk, to help the brokenhearted, to help captives get free. And uh, I know that there are people who who are doing work all around this country, uh, and we applaud those who are are doing it following the anointing of, of Christ. But New Covenant... Uh, feeds, we, we, we serve, we clothe, uh, we, we, we reach out, uh, and we deal not just with the uh, material aspects of life, but we really do try to deal with spiritual and the mental health issues that seem to be rampant, uh, not just in our community, but if we're honest, those issues are rampant in the church. And so we try to do a holistic ministry that deals with both body, mind, and soul. New Covenant Christian Church Alpha and Omega Ministries, uh, we are a ministry on the move. We're a ministry that's really trying to touch people's lives beyond simply the spiritual, uh, beyond even just praying for folk in a prayer line because, you know, uh, you can't solve everybody's issue in a prayer line. You can't solve everybody's mm-hmm. issue with a revival. You've got to go beyond those things in order to really, really touch where people are hurting, and that's what we try to do. We've uh, done a nonprofit uh, spinoff, which is called Face It, Family Advocacy Crisis Education intervention team, and we work very closely with law enforcement uh, to deal with those issues of mental health in our community, primarily centered around 911 calls, because that's where a lot of our issues happen as it relates to bad experiences with law enforcement. And so we've been working with the Denver Police Department uh, for years, since 2003, trying to deal with those 911 calls that really does not need a a police response. They really do not need law enforcement. What they need is a counselor, may need a spiritual leader or someone to speak to the family. The issue may not be uh, necessary for a policeman to show up because if you're using policemen to be your counselor, if you're using policemen to sort of be a babysitter, then you're going to run into some some issues and some problems. And and so uh, that's kind of what we do here. I get excited when I'm talking about what we're doing, but we're trying to touch the complete total lives of, of people. So, Pastor Holmes, I, something that you brought up, and I want to ask you, um, spiritual and mental issues, are they separate? Are they intertwined? How should we, when we are talking about dealing with mental health issues, shouldn't spirituality be an automatic part of that? Uh, yes, yes, and I think that I think that uh, everything I, I believe begins with our spirits, and I think we have to deal with the spirit first. The problem that I see in a lot of churches is we deal with spirit only. And we act as if going beyond what we're capable of is somehow antithetical to God. What I mean by that 
is we have our revivals, we have our prayer lines, we anoint with oil, we do all of that, and we sometimes do it within an hour or two-hour service, and we pray for people, and we claim folks have been delivered. Well, it ain't quite that simple when you begin to look at the extensiveness of our problem. And I think that we who are pastors, we have one component. But to think that everybody who comes to church is going to receive a miraculous turnaround because they got into a prayer line is just not authentic. We got professional people in a variety of areas who are just as, as competent at doing what they do, especially if we believe that God is the God of all and God is the God of everything. So we've got to understand that God exists not just within the gifts of the church, but God exists also in other disciplines too. And our people can benefit from being helped by church, yes, but the church only can go so far, in my opinion. So to answer your question, is there a difference between spirit and mental health? Uh, I, would, I, would, I, would, I would venture to say there is a distinction, but I think it all goes together because we can't just thank God blesses in the church, but God does not bless in community, or he doesn't bless at a hospital, or he doesn't bless... At a, at a mental health uh, facility, that God is everywhere is the approach that we take because God is much bigger than the church. We can't hold all of God. God is beyond a building, and God is beyond any one group of people. So we have lots of gifts, and we have the ability to pray for people, but there are other folks who can spend that necessary time talking and giving people what they need, even beyond simply offering a prayer. Okay, so I I need to ask this question. I believe that this has, adults need to have these issues addressed, but I believe that some of this could be, as they say, nipped in the bud if if our children were spiritually and, and mentally fed on a you know in a positive way uh otherwise you wouldn't have these kids you, i mean everybody all kids have get bullied or teased or or whatever and i think that that's right not saying that that should be normal or whatever but in terms of how you handle it how a child handles it um, I think there's some sort of disconnect with some of these kids, and they end up doing these things like school shootings or, or excessive bullying or, or whatever. How do we start sooner, I guess I want to ask? And that's a great, great question, uh, Gretchen, great question. I think that I think you, you hit the nail on, on the head. I think for me, Everything starts in the home, everything. And and I think that children, all of us were children at one time. Uh, we are creatures of habit. Uh, we, we, we emulate what we see. In a lot of instances, uh, there are issues in the home. Uh, there, are, there are parents who... Who, who, who are not spending sufficient time with their children. Uh, we, we're in a society now in which we are raising, uh, we, we've already raised two generations before us or, or two mm-hmm. generations after us that came behind us who have no relationship with church at all. I'm, I'm, I'm talking about primarily folks in the black community. And mm-hmm. when we were, when, when, at least when I was coming up, uh, you had some connection with the church because the church was a part of community. The church was a part of of the broader life of each family. Now you've got a generation or two 
who have had absolutely no connection with the church at all. And the things that used to regulate behavior, i.e. Jesus Christ, the word of mm-hmm. God, uh, we don't have that as 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 strong in our community as we once had. And so it 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 really places a lot on the church to become more vigilant in helping families to fill in those blanks, to fill in those cracks. Everything you said is true. The question I have is we know what is going on. Where are we in terms of providing support from those fam- for those families? And so that's what Face It is all about. Again, family advocacy, crisis education, intervention team. So we go in and we try to help families who may not have that spiritual grounding, may not be able to truly understand what's going on with themselves or what's going on with the loved one as it relates to mental health, and we get into those families and we try to minister. But you're absolutely right. Bullying happens because bullying was seen. Bullying was experienced. Bullying is going on in the house. Either someone is is bullying someone and that child sees it, or the child is being bullied himself or herself. And so where does it begin? It begins in the house. And so is it is it fair to say, though, that every child who ends up this way ends up this way because that's what happened at the home? Oh, yeah, I don't think we can go that far because what I can do is I can do a good job of raising my kids and just as an example, say you you, you do a horrible job raising your child. Well, when your child and my child, if they find a way to interact and mix, well, your child can influence my child. And my job as a parent is to make sure that I teach my child, I spend time with my child, because I know my child is going to be confronted by forces outside of the home. How well do we equip our children to deal with those forces outside of the home is every bit as important as it is us conducting ourselves in the home in such a way that the child does not see these images of bullying. They do not see either mama bullying daddy or daddy bullying mama or mama and daddy bullying the children, but there is a sense of respect in the household. But you can have all of that. And if your child comes in contact with the wrong folk, you haven't spent time with them helping them to to reject those negative influences, then you're gonna have you're gonna have issues. But I think that we all are in this together. I don't think we can point the fingers just at family and just at parents. We've got to face it, if you will. The whole community has to come together and see that we've got to do this together. And we don't get anywhere pointing fingers at the house, although we know that's where the genesis of a lot of the issues are. We can only change this and turn it around when we're all willing to get together and work together to help alleviate these issues. Okay. I'm I'm going to venture off a little bit again. Um, <laughs> what about what about school? What about the impact of what's going on in the school? Because you know Ooh, you, wow. you <laughs> I, yeah, I have I have um I have some viewpoints myself. But the the thing is your child leaves the house and you you've done all you can, you know, for the early part of their existence in the house and then they go to school and they end up, you know, thinking, oh, well, this person is saying this and that person is saying that and, and or they've got this and, you know, they've got that and why don't I have this? Why don't I have this? Or why don't we do this? You know, and they start questioning the foundation that they've, that's been built in the home. How do we, I guess, reinforce the child? Uh, especially black children, because the, the the thing about it, you know, I mean, I, I 
I remember, and not necessarily talking about childhood, but I just remember, for example, when when um, 9-11 happened. And uh, I was talking to a friend, and we were talking about, you know, the terrorists and, and, you know, how people were uh, going back to church, which they shouldn't have left in the first place. But we were talking about, um, you know, how people deal with each other and, and um, the need for, for uh, staying strong spiritually. And I, I was telling my friend who was not black, I said, I said you've got to understand, I'm a black woman in America. When I walk out the door, someone is not going to like me because of the color of my skin, just on, on sight, you know. And we have children that are having to deal with these particular issues in addition to, to the other just general peer pressure. So how do we strengthen our children so that, they, the, you know, they can feel more self-confident, more at ease, um, give them the tools other than violence, to deal with the adversity that that goes on, because I think that has a lot to do with the, the mental pressure that they come up with. Boy, I'm telling you, you 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 have just hit the nail on the head, and uh, that to me is the genesis of the issue, because you 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 can trace it back to the home. But it's deeper than that, and and what you just said, and I feel a I feel a tremendous amount of 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 uh, of, of compassion on on children everywhere, black children, but I feel mm-hmm. most particularly concerned about black children who are living in places like Florida, where you have a very open, unashamed governor who is really saying, we want to keep you Negroes down, and we want to keep you where you have, where we think you really belong, and that's and that's a second-class citizen. So what you just said, Gretchen is is the truth. You, you you do all that you can to teach your child to respect people. You do all you can to teach your child that they are equal to. You do all to teach your child that you can do it, and you you know. But 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 what we don't always do is we don't always. Tell our children the truth that that you are you are living in a world in which every day you wake up you have to be conscious of your skin color. Now there is no other group of children, there is no other race of people who live in this country who have to wake up every day. This is what James Baldwin said, that, 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 that we as black people, we're the only race of people who must wake up every day being fully cognizant of our skin color. White kids are not concerned about what color they are. They don't wake up worried about whether or not uh, uh, you know, somebody's going to discriminate against them because of the color of their skin. Historically, that has been our experience in America. Now, I fight, I fault a lot of black people who want to stick their heads in the ground and act like ostriches and pretend as though everything is okay. And the problem that's going on is our kids are just – they're just worse than other children. And the problem is, is that our people are just worse than any other people. Failing, failing miserably to take into consideration all of the forces. Oh, I know about the power of Jesus. I know about the power of God. But I also know about the history of America and how we have made it difficult for our people, difficult for our children to advance, and we use the color of their skin to keep them back. 
Now, the problem is that we've got too many black people who are not black and proud. Mm-hmm. They're black and ashamed. And so what they mm. don't do is that they don't teach blackness. You know, well, no, we don't want to teach that because, you know, we, we want to get away from that. And white folk ain't letting you get away from that. They're constantly reminding you and your children that you are second-class citizens. And no matter how much you fight against it, that message is there. And so teach your children the truth. Yes, teach them that, that, that greater is he that is within them than he that is in the world. Teach, but also teach them what the pitfalls are. Teach them how to get around them. Teach those children that racism is alive and well. Not acknowledging it doesn't make it go away. And I think that's the biggest problem I see among our people is that we somehow think if we just don't talk about it, then then, then maybe it'll go away. But yet you're sending your children out into the world as sheep among wolves. And they're Mm -hmm. being devoured. They're being ate up because you don't want to talk about race. You don't want to acknowledge that there's something crooked going on in Florida, in Colorado, in Alabama, and all throughout this country. We don't want to talk about it, but yet our children are being locked up at an alarming rate, as though our children are the only children committing crime. Our people are the only people committing crime. Jails are full of our people. That's not by accident. That's not by accident. So we've got to begin to teach truth. Yes, continue to teach our children, baby, you can be anything in the world. You can be all of what, teach them that. But, but, but you tell a child that without telling them what those obstacles are, and the child mm-hmm. confronts this teacher who tells them, no, you can't. The only thing you can be is a janitor. The only thing you can be, why don't you maybe try being a, a carpenter? Nothing wrong with any of those things, but the child may have potential and gifts beyond what this particular teacher or person is telling them. And so we've mm-hmm. got to begin to instill truth in our children. And we don't want to deal with it. Why? Because many of us are not equipped to deal with it. We're not educated. We've got to educate ourselves. We've got to learn about our history. We've got to learn mm-hmm. about who we are as a people and be willing to teach it to your children. Okay. So I, I wanted, I'm, wanted to get your perspective on that, so I, I appreciate that. So I've taken you away from what I wanted to talk about also, but I'm glad, you, I'm glad we're going to get into that at another point in time, I'm pretty sure. But in the meantime, I wanted to go back to your efforts toward um, combating um, mental illness um, and, and tell me about your project and how it works and uh, how uh, this can, I guess, work in other communities as well. In, uh, in, in Denver in 2000, 2006, we had an incident here in Denver. It made national news. You could you can pull it up and and pull my name up to it. But mm-hmm. it was a major incident covered by all the major networks in the country. They came to Denver because what happened? I was the president of the Greater Metro Denver Ministerial Alliance, and uh, had an incident where there was a young man by the name of Paul. Childs, C-H-I-L-D-S, Paul Childs. Paul was a a mentally uh, challenged uh, 15-year-old, and Paul loved, he loved the the police, and he would oftentimes act out uh, at home, and mom, sisters would call the police, And that was kind of the way they would calm Paul down. And whenever he would have an episode, that's what they did. Well, 911 had about 58 calls from this residence over a three-month period. And on this one particular occasion when 911 was called, 
other occasions they would come out and they would, you know, talk to Paul. Paul would calm down. Sometimes they'd take him in the police car and he'd calm down. Well, on this one particular occasion, they called the wrong cop. Paul had a butter knife in his hand, not a butcher knife. He had a butter knife. He would act out and do stuff like that. Never would hurt anybody. This particular occasion, the cop comes and tell Paul to put down the knife. Paul begins to walk towards the cop with the knife still in his hand, and the man shoots him three times and kills him in front of mm. his mother, in front of the sister, everybody. He, he, he never had a violent confrontation before, before that. Well, people be, were up in arms here in Denver. They were very upset. I was upset. We all were upset that they shot this guy. We got more details about what was going on. Uh, and we got more details about the environment, if you will. Well, we discovered that right down the street was a church. Down on the other corner was a recreation center. Uh, and you had other organizations uh, around the child household. But yet, the mother had to call the police whenever she needed help with her mentally challenged son. So we, we, we're using police officers to be counselors. We're using police officers uh, to, 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 to do the things that really they're not trained to do. And when you do that, you're bound to have a problem. And so I came up with the nonprofit organization, Face It, because God put it on my heart that this was not just a police problem. The police were not the only ones who needed to be blamed for this. The question is, where, where was the church community? There was a church mm -hmm. on one corner. Why couldn't she call somebody from that church? Why couldn't she call someone at the rec center? Where were the community resources short of calling the police that could have helped this young man? And so we developed an organization called Face It. We all got to face it, that this ain't just a police problem, it's a community problem. So we put together an organization that dealt with the mental health issues that are going on in families. The same organization worked very closely with the Denver Police Department, and the reason we work closely with them is because we recognize there are some calls you don't need to call a policeman. You need a spiritual health worker. You need a mental health worker. And so we did not want those calls that did not warrant a police response. We didn't want police responding. So our organization took those calls. And whenever families called us, we would go out. We would address the situation. You know, there was no weapons involved. There's nothing threatening going on. This is just a family who needs support. And so our organization worked with the police department. All of our staff uh, went through CIT training, which is called crisis intervention training. We all went through the training. We all became uh, equipped, if you will, to deal with recognizing the various forms of mental health, to know how people were responding. If they were responding a certain way, this was, you know, what they were dealing with. This is how we get them wraparound services. This is how we get them to the right places. And so we got a, had a lot of success doing it. Uh, resources uh, allowed us to kind of uh, not continue to work with the city, but we're coming full circle now, and we're going to begin working with the city beginning in January of next year with a new uh, contract. Uh, to, 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 to help because these issues aren't going away. They're actually increasing. So we will deal with not only families, but we're going to deal with the homeless community, which is a whole other issue mm -hmm. in Denver and, and in a lot of metropolitan areas. How do we handle that community that so many people have seemed to given up on? And, and so that's kind of how our organization came to be. It's how our organization is evolving. Uh, we, don't, we don't just talk about this stuff. We actually preach sermons because mm -hmm. as a church, you've got to talk about mental health. 
One of the greatest yeah. stories in the Bible is the story of mental health. This man mm-hmm. who the city could control, nobody could control it. Nobody could yeah. contain him. They put, they put him out into the cemetery, and that's where he stayed until mm-hmm. Jesus came and healed him. So we deal with, with those kinds of issues. Pastor Holmes, thank you. We've got to go, but we're going to have Pastor Holmes back on the fourth Monday of each month here on G's Power Hour. So we thank you for your time, sir, and we're going to talk to you soon. Thank you. God bless you. God bless you, too. Thank you all for listening. This has been G's Power Hour on Never Had It So Good Entertainment. Be well, be safe, be blessed. Talk tomorrow, God willing, and please remember, all real power comes from God. Take care.